With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Darkmyths.org and the Opus Media Group proudly present to you the Lone Gunman Podcast, featuring your host, Rob Clark, where research comes to shine and myths come to die. Stay tuned. Be right there. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. This is episode number 143, The Redux. Because uh, our other show didn't sound the greatest, and we want to get this information out to you so that you can fully, fully understand it and hear it as clearly as possible and not cringe when you listen. And it's totally my fault. The echo is not, not my guest's fault. But tonight we are sounding good. We're sounding great. And I think you'll enjoy it, so hang on to your seats, people. I have with me returning, if you didn't get this far in the last podcast, my guest is Ed Ledoux, a researcher from the Reopen Kennedy Case Forum, and uh, he's been on the show before. Bart interviewed him last year, but I haven't until tonight. You're going to hear me interview Ed. Ed, welcome to the show. What's happening, man? Aloha, Rob. It's uh, my pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, aloha, man. And uh, for those of you that don't know, Ed is, lives in Hawaii. That's why we are alohaing each other. <laughs> and I'm jealous. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's win- winter. You should be jealous. I know. Hey, so, yeah, so what we wanted to get into, folks, is, is a little bit of research Ed's been doing. And uh, it probably stems from arguing with a lot of people, um, at least the premise of it. And, of course, you can do that with a lot of aspects of this case, but tonight we're going to be getting specifically into the fact of whether or not any shots were fired from the Texas School Book Depository. And according to my guest, Ed Ledoux, he doesn't think so. And we're going to get into why, and I think you should listen very closely before you try to argue with us 
And if you have a problem with anything that we say here tonight on the show, please feel free to head over to the Facebook page, The Lone Gunman Podcast, and leave a comment. We'll be more, more than happy to address any questions you have about the show or any comments you want to make uh, because uh, I think we got some good reasons why no shots were fired from the TSBD. Isn't that right, Ed? That is correct. And uh, I guess I'll just, you know, get into it right now. Uh, yeah, let's do basically, it. Basically, uh, yeah, my, my conclusion is that uh, no shots were fired from the Texas School Book Depository. Uh, the Warren Commission failed to support its claim to a sniper, an active shooter, and it had to default to a gunman or a lone gunman or, or simply a man with a gun being at the uh, sixth floor window. Uh, what the Warren Commission stated, uh, basically in its report, uh, in chapter three, gave a whole chapter to this, entitled The Shots from the Texas School Book Depository. Now, this is exactly what the commission, uh, this is a quote, so I'll, I'll read through all the points that they give, and that's their supporting argument. So the commission analyzed the evidence and set forth the conclusions concerning source, effect, number, and timing of the shots that killed JFK. In that effect, the commission has evaluated, number one, the testimony of eyewitnesses, number two, damage to the limo, number three, expert examination of rifle, cartridge cases, and bullet fragments, fourth, Wounds suffered by JFK and Connolly. Fifth, wound ballistic tests. Sixth, is expert examination of the clothing of JFK and Connolly. And finally, seventh would be the motion picture, films, and still photographs taken at the time of the assassination. Now, the commission had a conclusion from this. Their conclusion is that shots were fired from the sixth floor window at the southeast corner of the Texas School Book Depository. Their conclusion is three shots, two hit, one missed. But, a caveat, they have no idea which is which. Uh, going back to, let's just go back to like uh, number three. That was the examination of the bullet fragments, expert examination. Uh, one of those would be uh, James Tegg. Uh, you know, he was hit, and he was standing down near the triple underpass. Now, if, they, if the commission doesn't know which is which as to which two shots hit and which one missed, uh, there's, there's a problem. And James Tegg is all the way down at the other end of the plaza. And so for an early miss, it's very, it would be very unlikely that any fragments or anything would hit him. Also, uh, a headshot to JFK, um, that goes to not only James Tegg, you know, how would that bullet hit JFK in the head at a downward angle and then fly over the windshield and the windscreen? Uh, we do know that uh, number two damaged the limo. There was uh, damage to the windshield and damage to the chrome strip on the inside above the windshield. Uh, so that, that pretty much rules out some of these some of these possibilities. It, it very, very much limits them. That's why they they basically have, you know, these caveats, which they have no idea which shot did which. Uh, 
And then they have a, a section, Rob, about the missed shot. And this is a quote, again, from the report. Uh, the wide range of possibilities and the existence of conflicting testimony, when coupled with the impossibility of scientific verification, precludes a conclusive finding by the Warren Commission as to which shot missed. Right. In other Their words, next section, they don't know. <laughs> right. They have no idea. So yeah. they're, they're just leaving that up in the air. Correct. Uh, their next section is on uh, time span. And they give a, a range there, too. Uh, 4.8 to 7 seconds. But, there, you know, Rob, there is no timing if they have no, no idea exactly, you know, if three shots were fired, really. Um, but they merely give a span in which shots took place. I'd say this is not scientific um, either if they base their conclusion on a wide range of possibilities, end quote. Right. Um, so, you know, uh, they, they have their several points making up their conclusion. And one of them was uh, basically refuted by me, which is there is no film, photos of any gun or any man in the sniper's nest window, that sixth floor easternmost window also they they kind of resort to newsmen so multiple newsmen uh claim that's you know claim such but their stories are unsupportive of each other and they too hold no film or photos of any gun or man in the sixth floor window uh also um one of my other points is no one runs from the texas school book depository Rather, accounts are of running into the Texas School Book Depository. Um, you'd think if people were shooting out of a building, you would uh, you would be running from that building. Also, yeah, especially no people that, that knew it, <laughs> right? Or thought also, they knew it. No, no strangers were in the Texas School Book Depository. Uh, everyone was asked this question: uh, Who was employed in the Texas School Book Depository by the FBI? Uh, no one said they saw any strangers in the Texas School Book Depository. The only caveat uh, is Danny Arce, uh, who helped an old man into the bathroom and then said he watched him leave and drive off in a car. Um, there were strangers in the Daltex, two that oh, yeah. we know of. Oh, yeah. Um, also, another point of mine is no one testifies to a rifle actually firing from the sixth floor window sniper's nest. That's, yeah, that, that's pretty that's, huge. That's an important point because, I mean, I know you're not going to see, I mean, unless they were up there shooting like a, a black powder rifle, you're not going to see a big gigantic puff of smoke coming out the window or anything like that. But you would think you would have, somebody would have captured a muzzle flash or seen a muzzle flash because as you're going to set up here, you know, the difference between the sniper and a gunman, you know, in order for him to make that shot, he would have had been hanging out, hanging a little bit out of that window. Right. And I'll get into that uh, yeah. recreation uh, and exactly how they had to place their that rifle in that window to line up that shot that they say hit Kennedy in the back of the head. Um, so another one of my points is there is no object is seen in any window resembling a rifle. Um, to that, uh, welcome Barnett of Dallas police officer standing at that corner gives an affidavit. The affidavit says that he looked at the building 
and observed no projections, no rifle fire from any of the windows, saw no one or anything extend out of those windows. So, so when you when you when you lay that up against and compare that to some of the uh, go-to witnesses, Ewins, uh, Brennan, uh, Mrs. Cabell, uh, you know some of the Bob Jackson, some of the reporters like Bob Jackson and and Malcolm Couch. When you compare that with a trained police officer actually observing those windows, we've got a problem. It's yeah. unsupportive. And to be um, fair, it, I mean, yeah. And and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into we'll touch on it, but you know, some of the witness, or at least one of the witnesses, said they saw a at least a foot of a barrel protruding from the window. And uh, that just doesn't quite match the description of a man like a Carcano at all, because it's a very short barreled gun. It was made to have a uh, what do they call these things on the end where you can stab people with a bayonet. A bayonet. Yeah, it was a World War II era gun. You know, when you ran out of ammo in the trenches, you wanted to be able to stab somebody. So you couldn't have a foot-long barrel on the end of your rifle, or else you wouldn't have been able to stab anybody with your bayonet. <laughs> right. Uh, it's a very short carbine. It's 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 yeah. It looks like a toy gun. You know, when the when they're um, when they're holding it up in the hallway of the Dallas Police Department. I mean, that's a that's a tiny gun, really, thirty-six inches long. You know, about or forty inches, depending on who you believe or you know, which gun, but it's very small. Um, and, and to that, um, is reporter Bob Jackson. Uh, he gave a false statement. He gave a false statement that DPD Sergeant WG Jennings, uh, stated, quote, Bob Jackson is reported to have seen the rifle and the man that fired the shots as the shots were fired. Now, that's in volume 19, page 517. Anybody can look that up and see that Sergeant Jennings is basically calling out Bob Jackson. Um, also, Sheriff Deputy C.L. Lewis note says that Bob Jackson, quote, saw shooting, end quote. Yet uh, he has no photo. Well, if there's this wide range of time, you know, like from the Warren Commission, at least seven seconds. That's a long time when something's really happening. I mean, that's ages whenever there's a shooting going on. And here's Bob Jackson not able to take a picture or anybody else take a picture. The yeah, longer, that's a little suspect. Span, yeah, the longer the span, the worse it looks for them. <laughs> um, so Bob Jackson, he claimed that it was just too fast, yet says that he watched as the rifle was drawn fairly slowly back into the building. That's in volume two, page 159, for anyone who wants to look up what Bob Jackson had to say. Uh, Bob had a camera ready with film around his neck. He claimed that the, the wide angle that was on that camera uh, wouldn't have been good enough, and his other camera was out of film. It was not camera ready. That's the camera where he had taken the film out and thrown it to a, another reporter there waiting to catch it at the corner of Maine and Houston. Um, yet, here's the kicker. Malcolm Couch in the same car says, Bob said, look, a rifle, indicating this Texas School Book Depository. And Mal looked and he says he saw a rifle. Well, this posed a huge problem, Rob, for the commission as... 
Bob claimed he did not say anything until the rifle had been fully withdrawn from view. That that leaves uh, Malcolm Couch as an unverified witness, or it, was it Bob calling Mal a liar? You take it for what it is, Rob. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, uh, there was an 1122 Associated Press report that said um, Mal was saying he saw a rifle emerge from a window. <laughs> I got to thank Bart Camp for that. He sent me that, Jim. That was a that was a little nice little blurb from the Associated Press. Uh, another police officer, Edgar Leon Smith, E.L. Smith of the Dallas Police. He was at the corner also of Houston and Elm. He says he ran to the source of the shots, which were the pergola area. So much for the Texas School Depository if you're standing right at the corner and you think they're at the railroad tracks. Yeah, another important point is that most people don't understand that there were police officers on the opposite corner, right there at Elm Street, across from the TSBD. If they would have just looked up, supposedly, they would have seen a rifle firing. You would think. You would there think. three there. Yeah. But they, they didn't see anything. Nope. Uh, Bob Jackson, uh, he also gave an interview, and he stated he had taken a photo coming up Houston Street. Uh, Bob recounted, uh, likely as no support ever came for anything in those windows, so he, you'll never see any photo from Bob Jackson, the Texas School Book Depository, coming down Houston Street. Uh, Dillard, uh, Dillard, another photograph uh, photographer, uh, he was in the same car. He takes two photos with two cameras. None show images that show a gunman, a gun, or anything like that in any of the windows. Uh, Dillard testified to seeing nothing and no one in the windows. So all these witnesses, you know, Bruin, uh, Brennan, Ewens, Jackson, do not describe a Carcano like you mentioned earlier. There is too much barrel versus stock, no scope, et cetera, et cetera. It, it yeah. doesn't, doesn't jive for what rifle was supposedly found on the sixth yeah. floor. Or they said they saw a pipe coming out of the window. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Maybe somebody was blowing blow darts at, at JFK, you know. Right. A broom handle, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, uh, Robert McNeil um, from the McNeil Lair News Hour, you know. Um, all these guys oh, got yeah. promoted, too. That's the other thing. Uh, but Robert McNeil, he said the, the men in the depository were unusually calm despite all the excitement outside. Well, yeah, because all the excitement was outside. It wasn't in the building. Duh. Pierce Allman, another reporter who went into the building, claimed he saw a rifle, saw it in, in, in that window, but yet he ran to the knoll, and then he ran back into the Texas School Book Depository, where he used the phone to say no such thing. Uh <laughs> when you listen to Pierce Almond's report, he says, an unknown window where a rifle fired. Well, well, gee, Pierce, why don't you tell us which window you supposedly said that you saw it in? Right. That didn't happen. Right. So you got to take all these guys with a huge grain of salt. Go back, check each other against, you know, everybody's statements against each other. And again, none are supportive of each other. 
nothing is reality when it comes to them seeing a rifle in a window, a gunman firing, a sniper. That doesn't happen. So yeah, um, I think if anybody would have would have captured somebody if they were up there, it would have been Dillard. I mean, that's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pretty close. Sure. Um. So there's there's Brennan, you know, Brennan, the construction worker with the hard hat. You'll see in many of the the pictures and films, and him standing around outside the Texas School Depository, uh, talking with several cops. And, uh, you got to wonder what's going on there. So uh, Brennan. He testified that the suspect leaned out the window and also sat sideways on the windowsill. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Uh, he was he was asked under oath, under oath, penalty of law, I, I guess as much as you're going to get from the Warren Commission, um, by Counselor McCoy. McCoy asked him if he had seen a rifle discharge or, or had seen the recoil and flash. Brennan said no. Wow. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, when you go back and you check what Brennan was saying earlier, uh, he he had kind of given that impression that, yeah, I'd seen the... Yeah, he should have gotten a good look if the guy's hanging out the window and sitting on the windowsill. (laughs) Right? All of them, pretty much. Yeah. Um, But uh, he also claimed to see 70 to 85% of the rifle. Uh, yet no scope. And uh, it's always interesting, you know, when they're seeing supposedly almost all the rifle, yet uh, can't really describe the guy. Um, he says also that he saw the president's head explode. Well, if you're watching the president's head explode, where are you looking? Right. You're not looking up there. Um, <clears throat> and we can see where so, he was looking at on the Zapruder film, really. Right, and that's that's approximately two to three seconds. I'll get that yeah. time spent again, you know, before uh, the first shot. Well, you'd expect somebody to be, you know, tracking the limo, following the limo. I'll get more into that, but um, I was, you know, me and Bart and everybody who always toss around, you know, did he hear Ewan's story uh, and make it his own, and then. He finally makes his way to Inspector Sawyer. You know, Sawyer pulled up at the Texas School Depository, enters the back door. A few minutes later, he comes out the front and asking, you know, who saw what, you know. So after, you know, Brendan supposedly fills Sawyer in on what he saw, how does Inspector Sawyer describe the information he has just received from these witnesses? It's not very good, Rob. Very generically. (laughs) Yeah. Inspector Sawyer says a man 
and a rifle. That's it. Not a sniper firing. Not a not a you know nothing like that. You know. Yeah. And just to reiterate, just to reiterate real quick, Ed. I mean, we've all seen photos of the people just lined up on on Houston Street, on Elm Street from that day. You saw how many people were on both sides of the street. And for nobody to have said that they saw the rifle firing from the window is a problem. A huge problem. Yeah. I mean, in that area, you know, I've got a spreadsheet on uh, ROKC with 214 ear witnesses. That's a lot of people right in the general area. You can imagine how many people should have seen something. But we'll get to those ear witnesses. Um, So then there's... uh, Mrs. Cabell, that's the mayor of Dallas, Earl Cabell's wife. Yes. Mrs. Cabell, supposedly, you know, when she's riding in the car, uh, not directly behind the BP car, but the next one after that, says that she saw a rifle, yet she says nothing to anyone in the car. In fact, she says nothing until 1964. Yet the, the commission uses her in their report to support their conclusion. Uh, the problem is Mrs. Cabell, not only did she not say anything to anybody at the time or even much later, uh, she says that she could not tell whether it was a mechanical object or person's arm, you know, could have been Williams pointing down the street that, Hey, look, you know, that's, that's pretty weak for the commission to use her very weak. In fact, um, then there's James N. Crawford and Mary Ann Mitchell. These are deputy district clerks. Uh, They watch from the southeast corner of Elm and Houston. Uh, James hears a loud report, which he says from the triple underpass, says that after the third shot, he looked up and saw movement in the sixth floor window. Nothing more. (laughs) Another one of these. That's that's quite, quite a bit, quite a ways away there. You know what I mean? Right, yeah, you're going to wait till. gee, I'm not going to look up there where the shots are coming from, but <laughs> I'm going to look up afterwards. Okay, buddy. Um, and, of course, the, the star witness, Mr. Ewins, or the young Ewins, told uh, reporters on the scene, uh, Mr. Underwood, that the shooter was colored. Also, Kent Biffle, here's the same description, colored, a colored man in the sixth floor windows with the rifle. Well, this was on the scene as, as it was unfolding, not a later scripted, uh, you know, description. So we have to take Ewins to task on that alone. Um, also, Earl Brown. Okay. If you look at my uh, ear witness spreadsheet and stuff, uh, he's one of the ones, you know, that I, I kind of held out was, gee, what did, what did Earl Brown, because Earl Brown was in the interesting position because he witnesses pigeons fly up and he also later smelled gunpowder at at ground level he's at ground level Uh, these are the pigeons supposedly that officer baker says he sees fly up behind buildings yeah Uh, there's a huge problem with this uh you know i I don't know you know I, i like i say I dare anybody to show me a picture with pigeons flying in the air. Any of the yeah. pictures. Or a movie. Yeah, anything. Well, any except film. JFK. Show me, show me 
Yeah, you know, that's the dramatized version, right? Fiction. Yeah, that's slow motion the that they use. Yeah, that was Baker's testimony. That's the reason why he thought to go into that building and stuff. And yeah, or there was no, was pigeons. no pigeons just chilling out on the ledge up there either. You know, right? Not so, even flying. Not even flying. There's no pigeons flying off the roof or anything. That really discounts the reason for Baker to run into that building. If he went directly into that building, that's another thing. Uh, but Baker says he say, you know, he sees these pigeons fly up behind the buildings, and he says the Texas School Book Depository and the Daltex. But he doesn't know, you know, really where to run to or where to go. Um, but Earl Brown says, you know, he saw the saw the pigeons. They flew up from near the triple underpass from the ground where they were they were on the ground, not from the roofs of any building. So this really discounts if there were pigeons that flew up that Baker saw. You know, it really discounts. Yeah. Them. Well, I mean, I doubt there was pigeons chilling anywhere near where there was people gathered because that generally doesn't happen unless right. somebody's feeding them, you know. Right. Now, I, I realize Dealey Plaza is, you know, kind of a park type setting, but, sure. you know, there was a lot of people on that triple overpass milling around, you know. Milling around. There's People, yeah, and all the cars in the back there. There's kept be pretty loud railroad trains and yep, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so the the pigeon and roof idea doesn't really pan out for for Baker, obviously. No. Um, you know, also the UN story. You know, back back to UN's uh, his story changes from uh, no longer being able to see the limo on Elm. Uh, he was just looking around, and so he says he sees a man's hand on a rifle stock uh that changes uh two he was waiting for the limo and he sees a metal rod sticking out the fifth floor window and boy the the machinations and back twisting the stuff thing the warren commission does to get away from that fifth floor siding and stuff which is who's on the fifth floor you know there's the three blind mice you know williams jarman and norman the three yeah. colored uh, employees. So that's that's always interesting, the, the fifth floor stuff. Um, so nothing in the window. Okay, let's get to that. So how would anyone track and aim at a target not visible till it emerges behind a Texas live oak? A sniper, a trained sniper, would need to have the rifle tracking it or ready for when the limo appears from under the foliage. Uh, that requires a man and a rifle to be in the window several seconds before the first shot and for each each subsequent shot he must be tracking the limo and in the window now this is not what happened rob as proven by the fbi itech house select committee you you name it everybody's looked at those films photos there's no there's nothing in those windows no one is aiming or firing at any point during the motorcade from the Texas School Book Depository. And, you know, the Sixth Floor Museum even did a recreation of the sniper's nest window, and it's 100% accurate as Lee Oswald's not in it. Yeah. I got to thank, <laughs> thank Bill Hicks for that one. That, was, that always helps prove my point. So uh, if now, you were standing... Ed, yeah, I, know what the, I know what the lone nutters are going to say. They're going to say, oh, well, he wouldn't have had to track him too much because he was, you know, heading directly away from him. You know, it's been a matter of adjusting up or, or down or just, or just adjusting up just a little bit um, and staying on the, pretty much the same trajectory. But, but 
There's a tree but, in the way. Uh, <laughs> there's a tree in the way. There's also the recreation that the FBI did with, uh, I think it's Shani Felt. They're there with the camera on the scope, looking through it. And wh where he's positioned is, he, he also had to open the window more than it actually was opened on that day. Get the rifle fully into the window at an angle with him in the window so that uh, anybody on the street could have looked up and saw that. I mean, well, everyone yeah. was, but no one did really. In, and uh, if you're standing in front of the building, you know, you're employed at, and the president rolls by and gets shot, and you, like everyone else, go back into the building as nothing happened involving that building, you would have an alibi, Rob. That'd be your alibi. Hey, I was in that building. I couldn't have been anywhere else shooting that president. But only in Texas is being where nothing happened a liability. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and, oh, and also think about it, Rob. Why the enormous delay in finding the sniper's nest? If you're standing in front of the building and you see the shots fired and sh see the guy in the window and you point at it and the show the cops, that's where he's shooting from. Well, wouldn't the cops go directly to that window? That's yeah, not think. what happens. You'd think, but that's not what happens. So would this, you know, would this uh, flock of uh, supposed witnesses not point out readily where they'd seen the sniper? And the police would go up there immediately, find the shells and this book boxes all around, making up this lair. Well, because then, but you know, but just think about it. Before the radio reports, it was the fifth floor. Fifth floor was a possible location. Um, that's on the radio reports. Uh, the first radio report is uh, 1234 by C.A. Haygood. Uh, quote, I just talked to a guy up here who was standing close to it, and the best he could tell, it came from the Texas School Book Depository building up here with that Hertz Renning sign on top of it. But two, um, two more minutes later, at 1236, is uh, Sergeant D.B. Harkness, quote, I have a witness that says it came from the fifth floor of the Texas School Book Depository store, end quote. Uh, hey, good though doesn't follow orders he doesn't get the information of the witnesses or their names we know he talked to probably teg because it was the guy with the blood on his cheek who got hit by shrapnel or a piece of concrete from from the curb all the way down by the triple underpass remember and we know harkness had ewan's and he had to take him from back by the railroad yards of course where you know i don't know what ewan's is doing back by the railroad yards if he's you know, should be watching this gunman out there. <laughs> well, he ran to the same place everybody else thought the shots came yes. from. This is correct. And then he was saying it was a black man on five. So, wow. Because there Probably. were actually black dudes hanging out the window watching everything go down on level five. This is, this is so true. You know, the three blind mice. Yeah. Uh, Williams, Norman, and Jarman. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, it was uh, Williams had to be, t you know, Williams uh, had been in the military. He had experience with rifles and, and, you know, weapons and firearms. He had to be told by, I believe, German that, oh, the shots are coming from above us. Well, isn't that kind of weird? Why would you have to be told yeah. where the shots are coming from? And in fact, Williams says, no, the first shot didn't even come from the building. It, it came from, you know, down on street level. So that's kind of odd if, you know, there's shots 
coming from the building that sound like they're at street level, and then somebody tells you, oh, no, they're above you. Uh, I, I well, then they changed their story to where, oh, you know, well, pieces of the floor above were falling down into his hair. <laughs> right. Well, I, I can imagine, you know, if you, you had opened one of those windows, you know, after they had been, you know, flooring up, up above you, you know, putting on the new floor, uh, screwing down or laying new uh, plywood up above them, you know, that could have disturbed some stuff. And then, when you know, when you run one of those windows up, you know, stuff will probably fall on your head. You're going to get right. stuff in your dirt in your hair. <clears throat> I can see that totally happening at this old. Yeah. Well, they had just redone property. the fifth floor before they started on the sixth yep. floor. So yeah, the fifth floor was, I mean, it, from the pictures I've seen, it looks like it was totally clean, cleared out. Like there wasn't much there on the fifth floor, really. Right. And then, you know, on the sixth floor, they're getting ready to lay all these, you know, pieces of pieces of plywood down and re reinforce the floor. And Allegedly. I, I imagine they swept it. Yeah. You know, and you would sweep everything over into the, the edges or whatever, and that's going to maybe fall down the cracks and. So, you know, I can see you just, well, just, a, you just a side note. Those yeah, a side note, Ed, I always wondered, you know, if they were working on that stuff that morning, which Lovelady said that they were, where, mm -hmm. where where's all this stuff at in the in the pictures and in, in the movies from the sixth floor? I've never seen, like, you know, a stack of plywood or hammer and nails or old busted up plywood or scrap wood or anything else. Oh, there's a few pictures that show uh, a saw, a hammer on a windowsill. Um, yeah, I, I saw believe, like a look like a small crowbar or something, but crowbar stuff like that. Yeah, there's there's a few tools, but it, it's very sparse. Um, it doesn't seem yeah. There's no stack of plywood or anything. There's nothing like that. So well, they had a team yeah. of like five or six guys working on it. You'd think there would be a lot of stuff around. You know what I mean? You would think, yeah. You'd think there'd be a huge pile of plywood right up there on six for them to keep going every you know after they lay one sheet, get the next. Right. Where they bring it up on the freight elevator and. and... Yeah, bringing yeah. up this one sheet at a time. I mean, they're uh, really dragging this stuff out. And and it was never finished either. Um, right. They never finished. They never went back after that day and, and did any more. So was it all just a setup? I don't know. Um, but we can go to the photos. You know, like I say, uh, but that's the main thing is, you know, you have you have pictures. Uh, you know, uh, you have Dillard. You have Weaver. You've got all these photos. Uh, Bronson, Hughes, for films. Uh, you know, Hughes' film was 9.9 .9 seconds before the first shot to 5.7 seconds uh, um, before. Uh, that combined with Dillard and all the other ones, uh, Dillard was taken 3.7 seconds after the fatal shot as one of his photos. Basically a conclusion, you know, because here's the thing. If you've chambered another round after the third one, you're going to still be there to shoot, right, with that, that other round. Yeah. Um, why why chamber it if you're not going to be aiming and still, you know, going to fire one? So Dillard, none of these people catches anything like that. There's no one in that window. Z zero people caught a photo or film of anyone in those windows firing a weapon. So you can basically, you know, reach a conclusion that's highly unlikely anyone fired from that window. Uh, in fact, Frontline, huh, boy, you know, our buddies over there at Frontline, <laughs> looking out for us, they said that seven seconds before the first shot in uh, their program, who was Lee Harvey Oswald, they said that they found a moving object in the window as JFK passed underneath it. Wow. That, this was said by Gary Mack at the Sixth Floor Museum. Uh, Mack 
went on to state that the Sixth Floor Museum acquired the original Hughes film in 2002, and video blow-ups of the window seemed to confirm the PBS frontline findings. Well, sure, if you zoom in and, you know, out of the whole frame, if the whole frame has focusing issues, you know, things going in out of focus, well, imagine what that does to a little tiny section that you zoom in on. Uh, you know, I, I, I have everybody watch it, you know, don't take my word for it. Watch the Hughes film, not the little tiny section, but watch the whole Hughes film. What does the camera do? Is it completely in focus all the time? I mean, this is a guy with a home camera, you know, home movie camera. This is not professional. Um, but he sure as heck didn't catch anything in the window, but he did, uh, have some grain noise and things like that. Now, now, the Bronson film, when you compare that to the Hughes film, the Bronson film was subjected to, you know, some uh, the same testing, but they removed the grain noise. And when they did that, all, all that they, they saw was in the windows were boxes. You know, all these things that people say, I see two guys with a gun and stuff. <laughs> I saw stuff up there. A guy stand. It's boxes. There's nothing in those windows. And, yeah, and well, real quick, yeah, just just for a frame of reference for people who right. who may have not ever paid too much attention to photos from the inside of the school depository or actually visited it themselves. When when we're talking about windows in in the school book depository, it's not like a normal window today where you could stand and 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 look look out of it. I mean, it's a big, huge window. Where the sill, the bottom of the window, is going to hit you right about your shins. Correct. And for Lee Oswald to be in a in a kneeling position, I guess, is, is what we've seen in most of the recreations or or something of that nature. I mean, when you think about it, Ed, he almost would have had to be on his belly, really, to make that <laughs> shot. Or very, very low. And yeah. Say, Shani felt... Jenny Felton, the recreation, had to open the window more than it was on the Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. That day. Right. So. And that, that's what I wanted to get people in, you know, to visualize about how low this window opening actually was. I mean, cause and, if, it, if, it's, yeah. if, it, if it's hitting your shin at the sill, it's only open about maybe 10 inches. Is yeah. what it looks like from the, yeah, from the photos. So you're talking maybe right above your knee is where the opening is hitting? I mean, that's pretty low. It's really low. It's yeah. really low. And something you said before was, you know, hey, if I was a sniper, I, I would be way back from the window, you know, where nobody could see me and shooting. Nobody well, could see the mother flash, yeah. Right. We know that can't happen because of where the, the rolling reader box was sitting on the windowsill, how far down the window was. It was barely open, you know, like you say, about 10 inches. So there's no way you can be back away from the window and sniping at someone. It just doesn't work out. physically. Right, unless he was sitting on his butt. Or he was in the Daltex building back from the window 
You right. can be back as far as you want and shoot out of the window of the Daltex, and right down the street is where you're going to be aiming. Yeah, no much better, much better there. angle with no obstructions. Yeah. So, but we don't know much about the Daltex building because there was no real investigation, and we don't know exactly where Baker ran to. Did he run to the corner to go to the Daltex building? It steered away by Brennan or something like that. Somebody, or yeah. Truly, you know, truly could have done that. Just steered him away. Um, so Arce was on that Michael, corner over there too. <laughs> Danny right. Arce. Now, now does the. Now, did the PBS Frontline proffer up a sniper firing a rifle or on film or photo? That's what they imply, but that's not what happens. All they say is movement. Well, that doesn't cut it for me, Rob. Movement and a grainy, out-of-focus film going in out-of-focus, that, that doesn't cut it for me. That doesn't, that doesn't prove anything. That's, that's just – that's hearsay. <laughs> yeah. Do they, show, do they show a man tracking the limo with a rifle? Seconds before and seconds after, then frantically working the bolt, ejecting shells in six to eight seconds. That doesn't happen. Yeah, None we're not happens. even saying, you know, if anybody saw Lee Oswald in the window, we're saying nobody saw anybody, <laughs> you any, know, any rifle, anything city, like that. Yeah. So, no rifle barrel, not even just the tip, nada, nothing, bubkiss. So, we got, we got zero from our friends over at PBS Frontline. Uh, you know, if and if, Rob, we, we scrutinize and discount the supposed eyewitnesses, then we're left with those 214 ear witnesses. Mm -hmm. Okay. So over at ROKC, you know, I have a, a thread, no shots fired from the TSBD, and it's got a spreadsheet. And on there, there's 214 ear witnesses, and I've gone through them all. And when you scrutinize them, uh, none of them are originally pointing to the Texas School Book Depository. Now, later on, of course, you, know, you run to the knoll, and then whispers in the crowd are, oh, maybe it came from that building over there. Well, then that's going to change your statement later. But your original account of all these people are not of the Texas School Book Depository, but the railroad yard or down low or across the street. or You can go through all 214 of, of the original statements. And you're not going to get there. You're not going to get to the Texas School Book Depository from these guys. So that kind of leaves the commission butt hanging in the wind. Yeah, just a little uh, bit. So uh, we have films. We have documents. We have photos that prove my point that no shots were fired. The Warren Commission apologists have no such thing. Uh, right. Well, and what they'll, say, what, what they'll say is yeah. – well, you know, Dealey Plaza is an echo chamber. Nobody could really tell where exactly the shots were coming from because the sound was bouncing off of all these buildings and then pro getting projected out into the plaza and bounced back. And <laughs> Right. You know how that goes. Yet here, you have, yet, yet here you have Bob Jackson say, well, I was out of the echo chamber, and I could tell perfectly. Yeah. Well, which is it, Bob? <laughs> Are you in the echo chamber? Because you were driving down the street there where the echo chamber supposedly is, so. Uh, yeah, it, it just doesn't, doesn't, it's, you know, history's not kind to these guys. Um, no. So dappled sunlight, grain noise, uh, a camera going in and out of focus will never be a, a rifle, B a protruding rifle, C a rifle firing D Lee Oswald with a protruding rifle firing it. You'll never get those from any film photo or anything at the scene. 
uh, back to the recreation. Yeah. So no smoke is associated with the sniper's nest. Uh, like you said, unless it was a black powder rifle or something, but still you have, uh, you know, smokeless powder is not completely smokeless. It's less smoke is really how it should be termed because there will be, you know, oil and stuff in the barrel. Yeah. And, and we're talking about an old world war two. And at this point, a 20 some year old, not really taken care of too good rifle. Right, exactly. So you're going to get some flash and some, some smoke and some flame and stuff like that out of the barrel, you know, a couple inches, but you're going to see that. Yeah, it's going to bark. Uh, and it, <laughs> yeah, and, and it, it'd be readily visible to anyone on the street, especially when we look at Shani Felt's recreation of where he had to place and put the rifle. Uh, it puts him in a position that would be seen from the street. It puts the rifle in a position that would be clearly seen. And you know what would be seen? The scope. No one says they see a gunman firing a rifle with a scope. Out of these other witnesses, Brennan, Ewins, Jackson, you you name it. None of these supposed uh, snipers have a scoped rifle. So uh, it's very interesting. And, you know, back to Gary Mack and the PBS Frontline. Where are those 4K scans that Gary Mack claimed the museum made? Uh, why don't those – why don't they offer – the high resolution images of that window and the, of the entrance, because you know why it would show where Lee wasn't. He wasn't in the window, but maybe he was on the steps uh, in the vestibule. Yeah. And, and Lee Oswald. Why Lee don't Oswald we have any 4k scans of any of the films <laughs> from the assassination? Uh, I, That's what I, I know, wonder. Uh, well, you know, you know, if they acquired them, they should be readily available. I, I can see like the Wegman and the Darnell films. You know, those are owned by NBC. That you know, they would have to get the rights to them. Uh, I did. I went to NBC. I did get the rights to it. But all they would offer me is a old three quarter inch VHS copy. Of course, in you know the, the greatest and latest format. But uh, an old grainy picture, you know, in a glass case is. Still an old grainy picture, yeah. especially on a three-quarter inch VHS tape. Now, where did you know? I asked them, "Where's where did you get the transfer? What did you transfer this onto that VHS tape? What where's the film? Where's the original?" Uh, crickets, my friend. Crickets from NBC. So NBC is actually culpable in in all of this because you know NBC, if they've got the Wegman, Darnell film, anything like that 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 shows clearly the front steps or the you know, the windows or anything like that, they should offer that up. I mean, that'd be proof of either Oswald doing it or not <laughs> proof. Yeah. Or not. <laughs> so yeah, go ahead and go and run down the NBC and uh, get that original Darnell and Woodman film from them. I, I dare you. Yeah. And then we see what happened <laughs> and, with Tom Brokaw. So you see where their head's at. So, uh, absolutely. You know, and if, if Lee's in the entrance, yeah, here's the weird thing, and we talked about this a little bit before, was, uh, you know, there is the, the Wegman and Darnell films showing the front entrance. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, these were two cameramen who were in the follow-up cars, the camera cars, uh, in, the, in the motorcade. Um, these guys hopped out, started filming, you know, the Texas School Book Depository, you know, a couple seconds after the last shot, so... They're gonna catch everything as you know, as it was, uh, you know, in situ. Bam! Here's here's the film starting, 
and it pans across and it shows the front of the Texaco repository. Back in the corner of the steps, in the dark corner on the on the left-hand side or the the westernmost side, is a figure that has been unidentified for, through all the investigations. Um, Richard Bernarby, a couple of people, you know, they Sprague, uh, they basically looked at that and said, you know, who is that guy? Who's who, who's in that back corner? And and I, and I talked about this before to you was that what I found and everybody saw the same thing after I pointed out was the front door is seen closing. So somebody had to just step out, maybe stepped in. But, you know, if you look at Lee Harvey's Oswald's alibi, his alibi is I was on the first floor and I stepped out to see what the excitement was. Bam, there's a door closing. There's a guy in the corner who looks like Lee Harvey Oswald. He's white. Looks like a warehouse worker. He's dressed as a warehouse worker. He's not wearing a suit and tie. Well, that's there's only a, a few people. There's you know Buell Wesley Frey. You know how many white guys were working there that worked in the warehouse? Yeah, it looks like he's drinking uh, from a bottle <laughs> or something, right? Something. He's having yeah. his soda, having his Coca Cola. Well, we got to scratch that out, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, or eating you know, something, or, or he's doing he's something. Doing something, but. Uh, the thing is, you know, when you, you know, Frankie Kaiser and all these guys, they're gone and his, his brother, you know, so you're very limited as to who this guy is, a white male warehouse worker. Yeah. And like I said, nobody saw any strangers. Nobody like you, you had talked about before was, you know, hey, nobody climbed all the way up through all these people to get to the, the worst possible place of view the murder came from. Yeah. Now, you know, now, you now Lewis did say he was out on the steps, but uh yeah. I don't see him in any of the pictures either, but he's black. He's, and I think I would call guy 100% sure that Prayer Man is white. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And unless we have so a negative picture. image, but I doubt that. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, basically the Warren Commission, uh, they declared Oswald guilty and they closed the case. Uh, this is injustice at its finest. Um, so, what I did was I, I, you know, I went on to the FBI web pages. Uh, I went on to the Department of Justice. A lot of people don't know this. The case is closed. That's why we are the ROKC. That's reopen Kennedy case. Gee, why? You know, a lot of people tell me, hey, it's open. It's open forever. No, it's not. They have declared him guilty and closed the case. Wow. Wow. That's pretty interesting, isn't it, Rob? That yeah. Here that. No one's no one's gone to court. No one's been found guilty by judge and jury, as it is in our country. That is the legal system. Yet they've just retroactively said, "Hey, man, he's guilty. Close this case." Yeah, because you always That's hear people happened. say, "Well, there's no statute of limitations on murder in the state of Texas," but <laughs> right? very yeah. few people know that the case is actually closed. I mean, there's it's it's closed. It's <laughs> According to them, it's it's done. Yep, and Lee's guilty. He did it. Yeah, by a preponderance of the evidence that exactly well, they don't even know what shots what shot hit and missed. So yeah. What kind of preponderance of evidence do they have when their witnesses discount each other? One calls another one a liar. Bob Jackson, Mal Couch. I mean, it just goes on and on. Mrs. Cabell doesn't say anything for a year almost. What's going on here? So should we just ignore Brennan, Ewins, Jackson, Couch, and Cabell? Yes. Yes, because they are not truthful. 
They are not truthful witnesses. They embellish their tales. They made false statements. They made false claims, which are shown to be false. So yes, ignore them. Don't listen to David Von Penn and people like that when they try and use these people as witnesses because they are no such thing. They are not witnesses to a sniper. And that's the key, sniper, someone actively shooting and firing and ejecting shells and shooting a rifle. Not an arm, not a broom handle, not Williams pointing down the street. None of that's, none of that's a rifle. None of that's a sniper. So, yes, ignore them. But do recall their tall tales and what it is that they're committing. Perjury. Perjurers. That's who they are. I don't like to call people liars, but these guys are on the stand telling stuff that we know is wrong. So you're a perjurer. Yeah, that's true. That's that's about the summation of it, you know. That, and, that really and, and logically, Ed, you know, I mean, if if you know Lee Oswald or somebody who worked in the building was shooting from the window and he had plans to do this and he killed, shot Kennedy in the head and exploded like a watermelon. Right. I don't know about you, but I would hightail ass out of that building quicker than you ever seen anybody and say, yeah, catch I'm... me if you can. I'm not hanging around and milling around and, you know, and I know they say, well, he left quickly, but everybody was, well, not everybody, but a lot of the workers pretty much knew that they were done for the day after that and and proceeded to leave work. Right. And, you know, this goes to a couple of my other threads, which is the taxi and bus ride fantasy and also right. the roll, roll call remedy. Uh, the roll call remedy basically says that, you know, here's the here's the list of people that uh, they, you know, they got the information from that they let go from the Texas School Book Depository. Who's at the top of the list? <laughs> Lee Harvey Oswald. And. Also, what's his address did he give? Did he give his uh, Irving address with the pains? Did he give his rooming house? No. He gave he gave an Ellis Beth address, uh, a place he hadn't lived at for, you know, months and uh and also it's it's an incorrect number. It's, you know, they put it down to 605, but it should be 602. And when you look at Lee Harvey's Os Oswald's wallet, what's the only thing in it that has uh, any form of identification and an address on it. The only thing in his wallet like that is his library card. And it says Oswald Lee Harvey 602 Smudgy 5 Elsbeth. Wow. That matches up perfectly. You know, if you're going to leave the building, the cops wanted to know who you were. Uh, let me get your information. You got any ID on you or anything? And we have to remember, too, that before the Mothers Against Drunk Driving the case that went to the Supreme Court and made every state put a photo on a driver's license and the ID had to have a photo so you couldn't sneak into a bar at you know 14, 15, 16 years old and be drinking on your you know brother's your older brother's you know driver's license. None of those had pictures. Not in, uh, and in Texas it wasn't until uh, 1982, I believe. That's a long time. And and you know. For them to even say that you know, Lee Harvey Oswald had a fake ID, this selective service card with a photo on it, no one's that stupid. And no one's that stupid to put a put a photo of yourself on a selective service card with AJ Heidel's name and wear a stretch wristband that says Lee. Right. <laughs> it's just, it's ridiculous, Rob. 
I know. So I know. Yeah, we just have to take these guys and uh, you know straighten them out. And that's what we're doing here. Is we're saying that no shots were fired from the Texas School Book Depository. Look elsewhere. This is a this is a road sign. This is a road marker. You know, go from here. Don't look back. It didn't happen that way. So yeah, and this is all coming from available evidence such as witness testimony, photos, yes. um, yes. the Warren Commission report. Yes, all Ballistic you know legit sources. It's not what I'm just right. pulling this out of the air and and making claims that we can't back up. Right. This is what people yeah. actually said and did and took photos of, and, and this is what we have to work with, and it doesn't nope. add up. Nope, especially when you go back and, you know, like I say, the, where the Warren Commission had their seven points there, uh, one was, you know, testimony of eyewitnesses. Well, who's one of the best eyewitnesses? It'd be Connolly. Connolly said, hey, man, I was shot by a different bullet. JFK was already hit in the back, supposedly, uh, and Connolly is turning and then he's going to turn back. Then he's hit. Uh, Kellerman and Greer were in the car too. What did they say? They said like a volley of shots. Well, if you got a missed shot and one hits JFK in the back and one hits him in the head, where's this volley? I mean, the only volley would be <laughs> there isn't a volley. You know, it it just boggles the mind. Uh, you you can go back to the clothing, the clothing of JFK and Connolly. Well, if they washed washed the clothing, you know that removes the evidence. If you misplace Connolly's hat, which we know, we got a picture of it hanging in the DPD uh, on a coat rack that disappeared. Well, that's kind of interesting. You know, that that's a good piece of evidence. Well, it's gone. Where did it go? Um, all this stuff just doesn't support what the commission says. Uh, no. da damage the limo, you know. Uh, well, here's the thing. If JFK, you know, we've all watched the programs and films of, uh, you know, Discovery Channel, History Channel, the recreation of uh, the ballistics gel body of JFK. And when they shoot it at the same angle at the same time that he's supposedly hit in the back, uh, where does that bullet go? Oh, well, it, it sure as heck wouldn't come out his throat. It would come out his chest just below the nipple. And that's what we see on the, the History Channel, the Discovery Channel in there. Tests. So yeah. that doesn't that doesn't work out. <laughs> that doesn't work out for a wounding Connolly. And no, and if it did, it would have to have been from a severely lower trajectory in order to uh, to do that. Right. Right. And it couldn't be the Texas School Depository. That would force it to be the Daltex building, second floor or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and I read and something recently, back. Ed. Um, about Warner Spitz, he's like a really renowned uh, forensic examiner, and he and he took a he took a look at the case, and he he got right. to examine some of the uh, some of the stuff that JFK had on, like his tie. Um, yeah. And what he noticed was that the fibers, you know, on the tie, where you would be able to tell whether a bullet was going out of of the tie or coming in, he did notice that the the fibers were going out as if he had been shot through and through from the back. Right. And Very if that were to happen, yeah, if that did happen, it would have had to have been from a definite lower trajectory than from the sixth floor nearly know, flat of the school book depository. It would have been more almost flat. Right. Yeah. And uh, also there'd be 
some problems with uh, the structure of his spine getting in the way, you know, like the right uh, and the magic the bullet, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the bony protection, the, the transverse processes of of your spine. Uh, those would be in the way. There'd be there'd be some problems there, right? Um, but if we take, you know, but, but these this is all the problem, you know. There wasn't an actual uh, forensic autopsy that we know of uh, where things were probed supposedly, uh, you know, bullet track wounds were dissected and things like that. All we know is that the top of his, uh, of his lung was bruised, you know, up there, um, which again, doesn't, doesn't bode well for a, a throat exit. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a conundrum for the Warren commission. Uh, I'm not confused. I know no shots were fired from the Texas school depository. It, it basically proves, proves the point. Um, yeah. Each of their seven points are not supportive of their cl- conclusion. Uh, they are of my conclusion that, you know, nobody shot from there. Um, there was probably more than three shots. Um, you know, I, I talked with Sherry, Sherry Feister, uh, you know, rest in peace for her. I, I really appreciated um, getting to talk with her and work with her a little bit on, on spatter and splatter and, you know, stuff she was an expert in. And, right. uh, of course, her conclusion was, uh, you know, a shot came from the South Knoll. Uh, which is, you know, people are like, oh, that's kind of weird. You know, how would that that hit Jackie? No, no. The Elm Street curves and the you know, limo would be facing the South Knoll at that time. Uh, and JFK would have his head turned towards Jackie. You know, he'd been hit in the back. He'd be leaning forward and down with his head turned. It, it, it lined up for her. Um, plus, I gave her I gave her a little insight into convertibles that blood when it splatters. And gets into the air, the air in a convertible forces it to come back down into the car and towards the jump seats. That's just the way it is in a convertible. And if you're going 10 miles an hour, it creates this wind. And that's where the wind goes. It goes into the car. Yeah, almost like a little vortex in in there, yeah. Right. What's JFK doing with his hair? He's pushing it back all the time. Why? Because that's the way the air comes over the windshield and spills back into the car. That's going to... That's not. That's going to show you that uh, that this this splatter that flies in there is going to land on the jump seats of spatter onto the back of those seats. So, and also uh, she also one of the things that uh, Sherry Feister really really opened us our eyes to is um, the skull fragment, seeing the Zapruder like flying forward. Well, when you get shot in the back of the head, the back of your skull fragment doesn't fly forward what happens if you get shot in the front of your head and it blows out the back of your head the piece of bone is going to be held on by the scalp if it's blowing that piece of bone out the scalp is going to tear and it's going to tear and tear and tear until the last piece holding on rips away and then it's going to fling it to wherever that last piece of scalp is holding. So if it's at the top, it's going to fling it forward. If it's, you know, last piece of scalp is at the bottom, it's going to fling it down. So we know that does not support the Warren Commission's conclusions either. Yeah, at all. And, and you know, you've got like uh, uh, Dan Rather. Dan Rather saying in the Zapruder film that, hey, you know, I watched it and the guy's head was blown forward. Well, we know that's not what happened in the Zapruder film. We know his head's blown backwards into the left. So what? You know what? What film did Dan rather watch? Uh, as far as I know, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they showed it to him in reverse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's, he's watching in a mirror. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, and you know, Dan Rather's 
you know, all these guys got promoted for basically supporting a lie. All of them. All of them went along with it. Uh, they piled on, as I say. Everybody piled on. But it didn't happen that way, Rob. We know it. ROKC knows it. The great guys like uh, Bart Camp, Greg Parker, Stan Dane, who wrote, uh, you know, Prayer Man, the book, out, out of the Shadows and Into the Light. Uh, we, you know, we know where Lee Harvey Oswald was. He was in the vestibule, the vestibulum. That is exactly what we see at the Texas School Book Depository. Two columns on the front uh, of the of the entrance. So all that area from the columns to the front doorway, that's the best vestibulum. That's exactly where Lee Harvey Oswald said that he was. He went out to see the excitement. Uh, he named he named the people out on there. You know, I was Bill Shelley was there. Yada yada. You you can't see that. You can't know that if you're on the sixth floor, firing a gun out of out of out of the window, you you wouldn't be able to see into that vestibulum, into the vestibule. So we know we know the Warren Commission's wrong. We got them. Yep. We got them nailed to the wall. As another nail in the coffin, the official coffin. Yeah. And look, so, hey uh, people, you know, yeah. guys like guys like Ed and Bart and and all these guys, you can find all their work, everything we talked about today to support what we talked about today and more over at reopenkennedycase.formmotion.net. That's where you can Perfect. join the, the Reopen Kennedy Case Forum and get engaged in the discussion, or even if you just want to lurk and, and learn, that's cool too. Um, Absolutely. And there, there, there's just a plethora of great information, great research threads over there to check out. And if you want to hear Ed on my show, the last time he was on, it's episode 136, The Public Transportation Getaway. And I highly encourage people to check it out. That was a great show you did there, too. Hey, thank you so much for that. That was that was a fun one. That And that one, you know, like people ask, why, why do you do some of this stuff? And I go, because it's, it's comical. It is absolutely hilarious to take this stuff and pull it apart. And I get a big kick out of it. I, I laugh my my rear off, uh, you know, listening to, you know, you know, Warren Commission a testimony of, uh, you know, any of these witnesses, uh, especially especially the ones on the bus, you know, in the cab. That, that's it's just it's comedy gold. You, you can't write this. No, nobody's a nobody's as good a writer uh, for comedy as as the Warren Commission witnesses were. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it's just it's so fun. I mean, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and I enjoy it immensely. And uh, when you get together with people like Greg Parker and Stan Dane and and Bart Camp and others, it it really is it's it's a hoot. It really is a hoot. These these guys are great. You know. <laughs> I, oh yeah, for I, sure. I, I can't say enough about them. I and and def definitely check out Stan's book because I mean, it, there's a lot of great information there, and, and also you know the shows and and the research that Bart's done on the second floor lunchroom encounter too as well. I mean, it all ties yeah. together. It all supports each other and, and, and points in the exact same direction <laughs> of everything we're talking about here. And, and, you know, Ed just came on and supported it a little bit more tonight. And I thank you so much yeah. for doing that. Hey, I, I appreciate it. You know, and like I said, I've, I've done a lot of interviews. So those are I always put those out. I'm not like a, a David Lifton who is the black hole and hordes interviews and we'll never <laughs> see him again. You know, I put them as soon as I get them, I get them trans, transcribed. I put them out there. I just did, uh, you know, Peggy uh, Bibbler Hawkins 
she was there with her son. Her husband worked there. Uh, she said that uh, she had uh, went over, you know, the, the wall there by uh, uh, the Elm Street extension and hid uh, until she heard a radio report on one of the motorcycles that was there. It was either Hawkins or Baker's. Um, I think it was Hawk Hawkins uh, or Harkness. I think it was Harkness's motor, motor, motorcycle. And uh, she, when she heard the radio reports of the railroad, she, she thought it was fine to go back into the building. Uh, she never once thought it, the shots that came from there. Uh, yeah, so go go look at all my uh, interviews. Those, those are people who are there who are telling it to me like it was. And, and she was sharp. I mean, she's, you know, 80-some years old and sharp as a tack. And, and so that was the time to get people is uh, – you know, when, when they're still alive. You know? Yeah. So that's what I try and do. I try and get them when they're alive. And Time is all of our enemies, and it's cre it's definitely creeping up there for, for people that were alive back then. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they well, can find and people can find all this stuff at reopenkennedycase.formotion.net. I mean, just a ton of great stuff over there. I can't emphasize it enough. Absolutely. Yeah, It's it's been a pleasure. Definitely, this has been a pleasure. Um, our second go around, but I think the Redux is a okay. Yeah, I mean, five hundred people uh, got to hear our train wreck before I got was able to delete it <laughs> a couple days into <laughs> it, or, or five hundred people attempted to listen to it. But hopefully, uh, they came back and and got the Redux, and and it sounds amazing. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, fingers crossed. Yeah, I mean, I've had. And I've had to do this before, like three or four times with the same person, and it's it's a nightmare. But uh, I think we nailed it this time, so hopefully we're good. And look, man, if you got anything else you wanna you, you wanna talk about or get off your chest, you're welcome back on the show anytime you want, man. Just shoot me a line. I uh, love your brother. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rob Clark. You are the man. Hey, appreciate it, Ed. You hang on the line for me. I'm gonna talk us out here, people. For more information, head over to the Lone Gummin Podcast page on Facebook. There you will find everything you need to know. Stay connected. Also on Twitter at TLG underscore podcast. I also post there as well. No website yet. Uh, I'm working on it, people. Give me a break. Anyway, that's it for this show. The sun bitches in the can. Beam over the satellite down directly to your ears, people. This is your boy. Peace. And aloha. Aloha. Ha <laughs> ha.